And the Celtics responded from the Game 1 loss and routed the Sixers last night. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports zone by Keith Smith. And, Keith, good to have you on once again. And, uh, you know, you've got a few things going as far as gigs go. How do you want to promote yourself and how can people get a hold of your stuff? Yeah, I, I, I like to keep a little bit busy. Plus, it helps pay the bills. So that, <laughs> I noticed. Um, yeah, I, I cover the Celtics for Celtics blog as part of SB Nation. And then I do a lot of work around the league as a whole, especially with a focus on the rosters and salary cap and the like for spot track, as well as uh, on the front office show. All right. So I'll get to a couple of the non-Celtics things here towards the end, but let's start with the Celtics. I actually want to start with the Celtics and the Hawks series. And I was surprised that series actually took six games. Atlanta can certainly score. So are the Hawks maybe just a difficult matchup for Boston? I don't think so. I think the Hawks are a better team than what they showed over the course of the regular season. They, 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 there was a point where they went something like 40 consecutive games with always being within a game of above or below 500, which is you know almost remarkable to, to think about that kind of you know win one lose one. But I think you know for them the Celtics they throwing away the one game is whatever, right? That happens in almost every series. Sweeps are pretty rare. But it was that second time in game five when they just kind of came out, played very lackadaisical, very loose. And it's a kind of a problem with this Celtics team that at times over the past couple of seasons, their own worst enemy has been themselves. When they turn it over, they don't play with the right kind of defensive pressure and intensity. Things tend to fall apart. So when they play the right way, they're a pretty good team. So I tend to think it was a little bit more about them than it was anything that the Hawks were doing. Okay, so I would have asked this question before last night's game, so I'm going to ask it today anyway. Between that Atlanta series and game one against the Sixers, the Celtics' defense was was not good uh, in uh, you know the Atlanta series in the first game against Philadelphia. So is, is that reason for concern the rest of the postseason? Yeah, a little bit, because what we've seen is uh, Al Horford has been aggressively targeted which is not something teams over the years have been able to do, right? Generally, teams have been kind of uh, reluctant to go at him on switches because he's always held his own quite well. So that's been been a concerning point. And then Marcus Smart is really banged up. He's not the same guy he was as a defender a year ago when he won Defensive Player of the Year. So that's been a little bit of a, of a challenge, too. So that's something that you're kind of looking at and you're saying, man, the team was the third-ranked defense or second depending on which measure you use in the NBA this season. And it's a little bit, though, you know, where are we going with, with this? Because you start to worry a bit of, like, all right, you know, was that smoke and mirrors? Is that, you know, just a regular season thing? And once we got in the playoffs. But then you see last night they made some adjustments to the way they covered things, the way their schemes were, and they really picked up their ball pressure and really were able to yeah, hold that Philadelphia team to, you know, almost nothing. Uh, comparatively scoring-wise, you know, when you hold a team under 90 nowadays, that's a remarkable effort. So I think it's all still there. It's just them doing it on a consistent basis. All right, so the Celtics at the offensive end, 121 points and six turnovers. That's like the definition of efficiency. So so what <laughs> stood out to you at that end of the floor last night? Yeah, the difference from game one. In game one, they ran a layup line, but then what they did was they overdid it in the second half. It was like, all right, we're going to just – continue trying to pound these guys inside and multiple times they passed up good shots because it was well i could take this three-pointer which is something they've done all year long 
they've taken, you know, some of the most three-pointers in the league. And it was, but I'm going to try to drive it for the layup. And that's not who they are. In this game, they had a much better shot miss. They, they definitely got shots inside around the basket area, and they were not shy about going at Joel Embiid. Embiid blocked five shots in the first half, but visibly tired and did not look the same in the second half. And then what you saw with the Celtics in the second half was they were able to do a lot of things where it was, hey, let's, um, you know, let's make sure we're taking the right shots. And then they were really focused on, all right, we're going to kick the ball out. We're going to do, do our drive and kick game. And if the three-pointer's there, let's take it. And that's something that Joe Missoula wants them to do is be a much more balanced team inside-outside scoring. And you saw that last night. Keith Smith of Celtics blog currently in the sports zone. All right, Joe Missoula, uh, I'm going to say stoic, maybe even angry uh, a little bit in the postgame. Now I must admit, I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed by this. I haven't seen a ton of Missoula's postgame press conferences. Is he always kind of like that, or was that just a different thing last night? No, nope, that's how he's always been all, all year long from, from the day he took over. He doesn't have much to say. He kind of – is you know he'll answer the questions in a very short fashion. I think he is kind of a um, approach of like, hey, this is you know. But I think he doesn't have a lot of patience when it is you know, hey, you turn the ball over a lot. Yo, know, what what happened there? And he's like, we turn the ball over a lot. Like you just said right. it. Like I just don't think he has patience for those kind of things. And and I think you know for him that that that's just who he is. He's gonna uh, you know often he'll say something along the lines of like, I need to be better. I need to you know figure things out and how to get us here and these kind of things. And then, you know, that frustrates fans and sometimes the media where it's like, you say this, but then you do the same thing. But I think it's important to remember he's a first-year head coach, you know, and he is still figuring things out. You know, I know this is a team that went to the finals a year ago, but he wasn't the coach a year ago. And these were the exact same conversations we were having in the second and in the third round. But Ime Udoka a year ago was like, I don't know, maybe he's really not cut out for it despite what you know, ended up being for both of them a pretty good regular season. So it's one of those things where it's, it's you know, it's never as bad as it looks, and it's also never as good as it looks either. Okay, along those lines, you mentioned obviously the coaching change. They had late coaching change right before the season started. Have the Celtics changed their style with Missoula as the head coach? They do a little bit more driving kick and a little bit more focus on the three-point shots. That's been something that's been a bit of a change for them. So I think we've seen – uh, them in a spot where it is, um, you know, it, it is, you know, they're, they're really focused on getting downhill and attacking the paint, but not always for paint scores. It's that driving kick game. And then defensively, they had gone away from a lot of the switch everything stuff under uh, Ime Udoka, and that's kind of come back into play for them a little bit more under Missoula like it was under Brad Stevens. So that's something that they're still working through and figuring out. And most of the time in the regular season, it was pretty good. But those those are the kind of stylistic changes. And the biggest change on the floor is they added Malcolm Brogdon to this team, which gives them a whole other element off the bench that they did not have last year. I think they very much believe had they had Malcolm Brogdon a season ago, they'd be defending a championship right now because those offensive lulls where the team really went south at periods of time would not likely have happened if you had that one more weapon to plug in there and say, hey, kind of get, get us a couple buckets and go here. Okay. In fact, I want to get to Brogdon next. This is perfect. Uh, I loved him at the University of Virginia. I claim to be, uh, at least on this radio show, I claim to be his biggest fan like east of Charlottesville. 
and, and that really hasn't changed in the NBA. How do you think the Celtics have actually most benefited from his addition? Yeah, it's that ability to stay in game. You know, like last night, good example. Jason Tatum got into foul trouble early, never found a rhythm, and really had no impact on that game. Jalen Brown was playing great, but there was points where it was like, all right, Jalen Brown needs a rest. And they had the ability to say, all right, Malcolm Brogdon, it's you now. You, you run this show. You're going to do this. And that's been a kind of a key all year long, whether it's been when Tatum or Brown is off the floor. Now you have that other guy who can come in there. And it used to be, you know, you'd see these wide splits. When it was Tatum and Brown together, everything looked really good. They did have a really positive uh, net rating and plus minus and all that stuff. When it was one of the two, it'd go down a little bit. If it was neither of the two, it'd really fall into the tank. And now what you've seen is now with Brogdon in there, everything has stabilized a little bit more. It's never quite at the level of Tatum and Brown, but those guys are both all-star, all-NBA-level guys. But Brogdon coming in has really led to a level of balance and a level of kind of consistency, keeping the offense moving and flowing. And he's just been a really good pick because he's really good driving kick. He's pretty good spot up. He can shoot off the dribble on the pull-ups. He can't get all the way to the basket. It's just been a really nice addition for them. Yeah, you mentioned the more three-pointers. And Missoula you know, mentioned before the game yesterday that he wanted more three-point field goal attempts. But 51, <laughs> is there a number that becomes too many three-point field goal attempts? Apparently not. Yeah, not if, not if they're good ones. That's what he always says. He goes, as long as they're good ones, I want guys taking them. He doesn't want a player ever passing up a good three-point attempt if they're a three-point shooter. And really the only guy who ever plays on the roster that's not someone who should be taking them is Rob Williams, and he's rarely ever does he find himself with the ball outside of the arc unless it's a you know set play where he's distributing from there. Everybody else, if you find yourself open, the quickest way to find yourself back on the bench is to pass up those shots. And he says, you know, with guys, he goes, I don't care if you miss the, the first five, take the next one. And I think he's a big believer in, which is something I personally believe in too, a bad shooter is better to have on the floor than a complete non-shooter because a non-shooter you can just disregard entirely when they drift out to the arch of the defense. You bend everything away from them and you go away. That's been a big part of the problem with a guy like Ben Simmons over the years is you just bend your whole defense away from him. With With a bad shooter, you always have the risk of, hey, they may get hot. And the other thing is, the Celtics don't really have any bad shooters. Everybody on the roster, even Marcus Smart, who people point to as a bad shooter, is more of a streaky shooter than he is a bad one. Everybody else is a pretty good shooter, and that, that's part of why he does not want them passing up looks when, when they're good ones. Grant Williams, is playing time, I think it's accurate to say, has been inconsistent. Uh, what's up with that? Yeah, it's very unclear, and in all, kind of to go back to the previous conversation about Joe Missoula, all you get out of it is the matchup, and you don't get any more specific on that. You know, and if anybody asks a follow-up, it's, we just didn't like the matchup for him, and that happened quite a bit in the Atlanta series. At times when he played, he played well, and we've seen now in this series he's going to have a big role, especially with Joel Embiid. They like to play Embiid with a smaller guy, whether it be Grant Williams or – Quite often they defended him with Marcus Smart uh, last night because that allows Al Horford and Rob Williams to then kind of be the designated helper. They're they're able to roam over, uh, protect around the rim, recover out, you know, do those kind of things, and you guard kind of more straight up. Now, you're going to have times, and Embiid did this once to Grant Williams, where he caught, turned, and just shot over him because he's just that much bigger than him. But you live with those because it's, hey, those shots are 
yeah, they may go in sometimes, but but we're okay with it rather than uh, him getting our bigs in foul trouble or just backing his way down to the post. So you're going to see him play quite a bit. But, yeah, throughout the course of this year, I think what the Celtics have done is there's been times where they've wanted to go to eight guys, and Sam Hauser's emergence as a kind of shooter, the designated shooter often in a lot of lineups, has made it so that if they're only going to play eight guys, there's just not room uh, for Grant Williams to play. But when Missoula expands either out to nine guys, which he did briefly um, in game one, or he says, all right, we're just going to play Grant Overhauser, good things tend to happen. He's a pretty good player, and it's really important that they get him on the floor the rest of this playoff run. Talking with Keith Smith of Celtics blog. I want to get uh, your take on some of the rest of the East here, by the way. Your top-seeded Milwaukee eliminated in the first round against Miami. In your eye, was that more of Giannis being injured in game one, or was there more to it than that? I, there's more to it than that because, you know, Giannis played, you know, when it came down to it, he still played most of the series and in the games he played. They didn't play very well, Milwaukee did, and I think that's just a bad matchup for them. I know they beat them a couple of years ago on their run to the to the title, but every other time it's just been not good because I think, you know, nobody is a great matchup to guard Giannis, but Bam Adebayo might be the best player in the league that you can put on him because he can kind of match him uh, size and quickness-wise, which that's the trouble most others have. The Heat are also very disciplined defensively. And then they're going to throw some looks at you that you haven't maybe seen before and couldn't prepare for, and they did some of that. So I think that's just a bad matchup. And I think that Milwaukee team, we're kind of seeing, they may kind of be at the point where it's like, all right, we've done what we can get out of this current group. That doesn't mean you, you trade Giannis or anything, but it might be time for a handful of the pieces to cycle around him and figure it out as you kind of turn into whatever your next iteration is going to be which should be a contender around Giannis because he's that good, but it just may be the pieces around him that need to change. Miami and New York uh, currently in round two. Uh, I'm assuming that Jimmy Butler is going to be back in a factor in this series at some point. So what should we look for the rest of the series? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more like what we saw in game two of a lot of, you know, the rock fight. It's these two teams are not great offensive teams. They can do enough offensively to get by, but – it's really about, you know, play defense, play hard. I think whoever wins the turnover battle is big. Whoever wins the rebounding battle is also going to be huge because there's going to be a lot of missed shots, and you've got to take care of your own glass because if they're, they're picking up offensive rebound after offensive rebound, you're, you're just giving teams second life that you don't want to give them. So it presumably, you know, like you said, Jimmy Butler can play. He can get back out there. I, I thought this was going to go seven ahead of the series. I think it'll still go seven. And I think it's going to be a lot of, um, you know, it's one of those ones where it's going to be ugly basketball, but it's going to be absolutely beautiful to watch because it's going to be close, tight, contested, you know, nervy at the end. It's going to be a lot of fun. If the Celtics advance, who do they match up better against, uh, Miami or New York? Yeah, it's a tough question because they're kind of similar in some ways. I think New York has the potential to give them trouble on the board. Because uh, they, they do go to those offensive rebounds, you know, with you know more than most teams do. But I think Boston, a card that they rarely played in the regular season, that they could go to is their two big lineups. They, they didn't do that very often. You could go to that and get by with the Knicks because they don't have a lot of guys who are really going to punish you off the dribble outside of Jalen Brunson. The Heat, the challenges. There's just a lot of history there. And I wonder if the Celtics get almost a little tight when they see that heat jersey of, all right, well, we know we're in for it for the next whatever because it feels like 
they've played in so many playoff series over the years. So it's, it's a little bit of, you know, either or. I think what they're hoping is, you know, hey, if we can get on track, get through Philadelphia, let's hope that goes seven and they beat the stuffing out of each other. And by the time they get there, you know, we'll take whoever's, you know, kind of wobbling in to the East Finals, you know, on injured and tired bike. Okay, back to Boston, Philadelphia. What what should we look for in game three? Yeah, I want to see what Doc Rivers has to go to for adjustments because the Celtics really picked up their, their, their ball pressure. They picked up their pickup points. It was something they started to do in the second half of game one, and it was working to some success, and it got overshadowed because of how bad the Celtics offense was down the stretch. But their defense started to figure that out late in game one, and it really worked well in game two. So that's something I think we, we can expect to see quite a bit of is, is that, you know, uh, out of them and how does Philly adjust. And then obviously it's going to be all eyes on Joel Embiid. He started out okay, looked pretty good, looked like he was moving well. But by the time we hit towards the end of the first half, he was grabbing at the knee a lot, fidgeting with the brace. He just didn't look right, didn't look right for most of the second half. And he can't be right. They're stealing, despite the game one victory. It's just left it. It's lowered. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. If he's out there hobbling around and can't be himself, they're going to have a real hard time winning this series. It might even be a liability to have him on the floor. So that's going to be something we're all going to have a lot of eyes on as well. And then on the Celtics side, can Al Horford make some jump shots? So that's going to be something he has not done so far in the series. But the math and the history tells us he'll start figuring that out and he'll start falling as long as he keeps shooting them. Okay, last question, somewhat of a local angle here. James Harden, of course, went to Arizona State. He had uh, the game one flashback performance, as I call it, the last couple of days uh, in that uh, phenomenal 45-point game. Are the Celtics concerned about James Harden in this series? I think they definitely concerned about him, but I think you saw they believe if you get up into him and you can play him with size, which is why they put Jalen Brown on him instead of, Marcus Smart and Derek White uh, more in game two. I think they feel like, hey, we can really disrupt him. Uh, he, you know, James Harden is very good, and they have a healthy dose of respect for how good he is. But I think they believe James Harden doesn't really beat guys off the dribble the way he was a few years ago. That's not something he does quite as much. And when he does, he doesn't really have that kind of explosive finishing around the rim that he used to have. So it's a lot of you just got to stay uh, you know, disciplined. You can't fall for the trick. That, that he pulled. And he's got every trick out there to try to get himself to the line and try to shake himself free for his jump shot. So as long as you stay attached and stay connected, you don't soft switch, give him advantageous matchups against big men. I think they feel like, hey, we can defend him maybe better than most teams because we can show him four or five, six different looks. And a lot of other teams, they, they don't have that ability. Keith, this has been great. I look forward to doing this uh, later in the playoffs. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, Keith Smith, Celtics blog, among other things. So uh, check out Keith's work.